Thanks, Ron. So I had a dream, speaking about dreams. And, you know, that should tell you something when you say to Jesus, what are you doing here? So, so I always say, Jesus, thank you for being here this morning. A couple, couple of uh, weeks ago, we had this, in my office, we had this uh, snake that crawled up uh, to the front door. And so the women in the front, I can hear them from where I am, and I can hear them out there talking about, oh, that's, that's not a real snake. And I'm thinking, you know, where would that have, how would a not real snake get there? And I thought, well, I guess I better get up and go out there and see what's going on. And I went out to the front door, and there was this copperhead. Uh, he's about that long, and he's just right in the front door looking into the front door. And, you know, we're in an office complex, and I'm thinking, well, that's odd, you know. So <laughs> I thought, well, if I open the door, you know, that's going to scare him, and he'll, he'll crawl off and nest, not so much. He was mad because it looked like somebody had run over him on uh, the back of his tail. And he was looking for the dude that ran over him, and, and he might have thought I looked like that guy, right? So we finally got him to crawl off. And, uh, but I had, I had a dream that I was driving down the road in my truck, and I, I named him uh, Copperhead Joe, you know, kind of like Cotton-Eyed Joe. And I had this dream that I was driving down the road, and I looked over, and, and Joe was in the pastor seat, you know, only like big. <laughs> and he just looks at me, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just bizarre. But I'll, I'll tell you a joke that uh, the only one I know. Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like Ron, I guess. Um, the only joke I know, the only one I can remember, right? So, and I think I told this joke five years ago, but uh, a, uh, a sloth got mugged by three turtles, right? Took everything he had on him and car keys, ATM card, everything. And uh, the police got there to make the report and they asked him, well, what happened? He said, I don't know, it all happened so fast, you know. So uh, that's the only joke I can remember. So good morning, um, I, I, and, and Bruce still remembers it. Um, so, you know, thank you guys for the opportunity to speak to you. I love, love to, to do this. And I uh, want to thank Stephen and Ben and Price for the last three weeks and uh, you guys sharing with us and, and, and what a blessing that was uh, for us. Uh, so I want to do something a little bit different starting off. I want to ask you, I was going to have a whiteboard, but we couldn't get it through the door. So uh, uh, we'll do something else. Um, if you have been a Christian between one and ten years, raise your hand. One and ten years, Bruce. Yeah, okay, good. If you've been a Christian between 10 and 20 years, raise your hand. Okay, 20 and 30 years, raise your hand. 30 and 40 years, raise your hand. 40 and 50 years, how about that? And over 50 years, right? So in thinking about myself, <laughs> You know, there's a difference between, I mean, you think about five decades with Christ. 
And there's a difference between 50 years of experience and, and growth and, 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 and that and the same year 50 times over. You see what I mean? And, and so when we look at ourselves and we look at how we're growing, to, to, to see the number of men who've been walking with Christ for the, for the years that we have is, is uh, a demonstration of God's faithfulness, uh, of His grace and His mercy. And so I want to begin this morning... Uh, with a quote from one of my favorite theologians, right? And, and the quote is, when I die, I'm going to go straight to God and ask Him if we can get to know each other better. I mean, I already know Him, but I want to ask Him questions and know Him even more. And that quote didn't come from Augustine. It didn't come from Wesley or Calvin. It didn't come from Upton or Wallace either, right? The quote came from uh, Luke Betts at eight years of age, right? And Luke is my grandson and my brother in Christ. And you think about what he said, I want to know him even more. And you think at eight years of age, the years that he has ahead of him, uh, to grow uh, in, in Christ and how um, uh, Jesus often used children as an example for us to emulate. And that's why, because of the trust and the, and the vision and the faith. So this morning, if you would, we're, uh, open the, your scriptures, if you have your Bibles, to Second Peter. And uh, if you would, let's, let's pray and, uh, and ask God to to bless us. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Just to ask you to open our, uh, our, our spiritual eyes and ears uh, and uh, that we might receive what you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as, you know, it's been a few weeks uh, ago since I spoke and, and, you know, we've been in First and Second Peter for a while and uh, we're in Second Peter now. Uh, in, on, our, on our Bible study class. And um, just want to share some things like we did last time from Second Peter that makes some application to us. Uh, it seems like every time we do a study in a book, we always talk about how relevant it is for us today. And uh, how about that? So God's Word is always speaking to us no matter where we turn uh, in the Old or the New Testament. And... Uh, so we want to talk about Second Peter and how Peter is concerned in Second Peter uh, about internal, inside dangers that come from false teaching. And if you remember from First Peter, it was the external dangers. It was the culture, it was the opposition, persecution, and the theme of suffering for Christ now, suffering for righteousness now, and that we would experience uh, with him uh, glory, right? So suffering and, and glory is the theme in First Peter. Uh, God wants to, you know, Peter wants his readers to understand God's not surprised by their circumstance. You know, it's not a surprise to him in his providence. He's placed us where he wants us to be to do what he's commanded us to do. And the beauty of grace is that he empowers us to do that. So not only is salvation free, but also the gifts, the tools that we need for ministry, he gives to us as well. 
And so Peter, in writing 2 Peter, he's, uh, he's correcting heresies and false teaching that's being promoted within the church. So these are people inside the church who are um, instructing uh, the congregation about things that are very relevant to us. Because when we look around, we see the same thing. Um, they denied the return of Christ. They denied the judgment that comes when he will return as, as redeemer and as judge. And they saw that since there's no judgment, we can live however we want. Uh, that we're free to do whatever we want. And Peter wants to correct that. Um, we look around today and we, as we read Second Peter, the apathy the indifference, and the open sin that is apparent, even in the church. And Peter wants to, it's a, it's a uh, in, second, in the second chapter, he unloads. He unloads on the false teachers because he realizes the peril that false teaching presents to the body and to the church. And... Um, so this morning, I want to make a few observations about Second Peter to encourage us uh, to pay attention. As Peter says, uh, you know, pay attention. And the summary of his entire letter in the closing verses, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. This is the whole letter in a couple of verses. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So this morning we're limited by time, but I will, uh, in, a, in a shameless plug, I'll invite you guys in the, in the next uh, equip session we're going to be talking uh, doing a deep dive into second peter so if you're interested in that and you're not doing anything around 9 30 on sunday morning uh invite you to join us uh, in the men's class for that so peter knows that he's going to die soon and he wants them to understand he wants to leave them with with one last exhortation and impress upon them the importance of sound doctrine and obedience and we can see the main concerns which prompted Peter's letter by just outlining it. You know, it's short, there's three chapters. And if we look at an outline in chapter 1, we can divide that into two sections. Chapter 1 is all about who we are in Christ. And Paul does the same thing. When he opens le uh, up, uh, letters, he'll tell his readers all of the riches and all of the grace and all of the uh, the, the blessings of God that are theirs because they're in Christ. And Peter does the same thing here. And the basis for that, that union with Christ, the re, uh, relationship that we have, is the basis for everything that follows. Chapter 1, first section, is to be diligent in making your calling and election sure. That's verse 10, chapter 1. And then the second half of that is to trust the apostles' testimony and their teaching and trust the scriptures. The uh, false teachers were saying, hey, 
you guys made all this up. You know, you apostles, you're talking this stuff about Christ returning. Well, where is he? It's been three decades. Why is he here? Right? Why are you here? Right? Uh, but they're saying that you guys made all this up. And Peter says, hey, wait a minute. You know, I was there. Right? I was there. I saw him. saw his glory. Uh, and I experienced his presence. And we're not making this up. Uh, he cites scripture as an as a, a affirmation that what they're saying is true. And when we think about this, and we think about the indifference and the apathy of the Western church today, uh, not surrendering in obedience to Christ, not pursuing holiness, right? Not believing in the authority of the Word of God. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely it does. There's a direct relationship between faith and works. Between grace and effort. And that's what Peter's saying, to be diligent. We've got to put the work in. God gives us the strength. He gives us the power. He gives us the gifts. But we've got to surrender to him. And we've got to realize the importance of holiness. We saw in 1 Peter, we're called to be obedient to Christ and to grow in holiness. We have no joy apart from pursuing holiness in Christ. All this other stuff is just a facade. And we, we uh, placate our pleasures and desires and, and, and we engage in these diversions which derail us from our pursuit of holiness and service. Verse 9 says, the, pe- the person who lacks these qualities, and Peter gives in verses 5 to 8 a, a list of virtues, that he says we should supplement our faith with. Um, in the uh, text, uh, in verse 9, Peter says, the person who lacks these qualities, the ver- those virtues, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed. So when we forget the grace that God has bestowed and poured out upon us, we, we forget and we, we don't value that, right? In the, in the Greek text, the order is blind, nearsighted, and forgetfulness, right? Amnesia, selective amnesia, if you will. Blind, someone who uh, cannot see it all. A blind person cannot see the present, cannot see the corruption in the fallen world that Peter talks about in verses 1 to 4. Can't see their uh, present rebellion uh, and without seeing the corruption of the fallen world, they don't see the way and the need for salvation in verse 10. Nearsightedness, someone who can only see immediately in front of them. So we're focused on this right here. And we don't have that vision of the future. We don't, we don't have that uh, uh, confirmation of our hope, which is in Christ and in glory. Can't see the future horizon because we're so consumed with what's right here. And then those with amnesia is someone who can't remember the past. Forgetting what Christ has rescued us from. 
that he's delivered us out of darkness and made us alive in him. And, and the false teacher's blindness and their short-sightedness and forgetfulness prevents them from understanding their past sins, their present rebellion, and their future condemnation. Because if there's no judgment, we can live however we want to, right? The word for blind can also mean blink, or it can mean shut the eyes. And if we take this meaning, such a person is blind because they willfully close their eyes to the light. It's spiritual blindness brought on by a deliberate looking away from God's grace, which is what our culture is doing right now. And I think when, when, when we, we looked at the numbers and how, you know, the length of time that we've known Christ, this moment, this very moment, is unprecedented in, in our country, in, in the Western society and the church. Unprecedented, the things that we're facing as Christians. And it's like the situation that uh, the first century church was facing, only it's exponentially more serious and more intense. Verse 3, God's divine power, Peter says, has listen to this, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You know, Luke said, I want to know him more. I want to know him more. And that's how we grow in holiness. The knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Called us to Christ's glory. To Christ's excellence. That's our calling, y'all. Through the knowledge of him who called us, and the word for knowledge here is not just a generic uh, understanding or, or, or generic knowledge. Uh, it, is, it stresses the completeness and the personal, intimate nature of that knowledge. It's a person. We're here for a person. We worship a person, Lord Jesus. And the difference between knowledge that agrees... We just know about Christ. Oh, yeah, he was a good teacher. Yeah, okay, good. Knowledge that agrees and knowledge that believes and knowledge that trusts. And that's the difference Peter's talking about here. Verse 4, his provision for the demands of living in this corrupt world are complete and sufficient and a lot of times, in, and I know in the men's class, a lot of times we've had conversation about, well, we're just different because we're guys. <sighs> you know, we're called. We're called to be image bearers. We're called to be men, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Act like men. Stand firm, as Peter says. The gracious, giving nature of God. Because you look at this text, all other gods... Or takers. These idols that we build up, these uh, things that we think are so important in our daily lives, they consume us. And we get into sin, we get into habits that are not uh, 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 healthy for us, they consume us. But God is a giver. 
The one true God is a giver. We've all been given, Peter says, all things that pertain to life. And there's only life in Christ. Apart from him, there is no life. Right? Through this calling, we have been given, is what the text says, partakers of the divine nature. Let that sink in, guys. Partakers of the divine nature. God has given, again, he's a giver. Through his precious and very great promises, Peter says, the way of escape from the corruption that is in the world because of what? Sinful desire. And that word means evil craving. Verse 4, he's rescued us. He's rescued us. Verse 5, Peter says, for this very reason, because we've been rescued and we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, be diligent, be spiritually disciplined, seek and desire. And if you don't have that desire, if you don't have that hunger, you ask for it because God will give it to you. I've been there. He will give it to you a hundredfold. You ask him to give, a, give you a hunger for his word. You ask him to give you a commitment to grow, to know him more, like an eight-year-old child. The relationship between belief and behavior can't be separated. And we have a lot of, you know, we, we emphasize doctrine and we emphasize truth. And when we have the proper beliefs, right, the proper behavior follows from that. But it's the other way around too. Behavior affects belief. And that's what Peter's saying here in chapter 2. He's addressing the false teacher's practices. And in chapter 3, he attacks their beliefs. The core reasons why they're behaving like they are. So when we fall into sin... And we live in that sin habitually. It's not long before we start saying, well, I don't know if I really believe that or not. You see how that works? So the two go together. Belief and behavior are directly connected to each other. And being a Christian is not simply agreeing to a doctrinal statement because union in Christ transforms us. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm here to say, you cannot be in relationship with the living God, creator and sustainer of the universe without being changed. You cannot do it. You cannot. And that's what Peter's saying. So we look at chapter 2, Peter starts talking there about the practices of the false teachers. And he says, they will be held accountable for leading people astray. They will be held accountable. And not only that, when Christ returns, and he will, you do not want to be on the side of the false teachers, right? He's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything we need, and we don't want to be in that camp when he returns. 
He gives examples of God's judgment, goes back to the Old Testament. He gives us three examples of God's judgment and also examples of God's redemption, his rescue of his people. Peter says God knows how to sustain his people, right? And he also knows how to hold those evil ones in judgment. Chapter 2, the false teachers were arrogant, they were greedy, they were empty. So what they were teaching and what they were practicing was emptiness. They were dry and they had nothing of substance. And everybody's following after them because they're saying, hey, we're free, we can do whatever we want. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want. Freedom in Christ is that we've been freed from our sinful nature. We've been given all the things that pertain to life and godliness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? And we're free to serve Him. That's what freedom in Christ is. The freedom from sin to serve our Master. Chapter 3, when Peter begins to talk about the heresy of the false teachers, and the first thing he says is, Christ is certainly coming back, and that matters for us. It matters for us. Right now, counts forever, because we look for the return of our Savior. There will be a shout, there will be a trumpet blast, and we will be face to face with him. And Peter says, you gotta, you got to know that, you got to trust that, and you got to let that make a difference in your life today. The day of the Lord will bring a new heavens and new earth. I'm looking forward to the new sermon series that, that, that uh, Jonathan and Hunter's going to do on heaven and, and uh, the new heavens and new earth and our eternal destiny. But just think about this, y'all. Jesus is full of grace and mercy, and he forgives us and has forgiven us, right? So we're forgiven from, uh, we're saved from uh, our sin, from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin in that day. When I was in school, we were doing a, a production, we used to have this late night thing for all the kids, and I say kids because I was older, but we would uh, go out on the streets of Chattanooga and we would just walk up to folks randomly and ask them questions, you know, and this got, this was a long time ago. We were, video cameras had cranks on them, that's how long ago it was. But we would go out and ask them questions and then we'd edit them together and, you know, we'd do this production. It was really fun to do. And nobody had a video camera, so we decided to rent one. And on Broad Street in Chattanooga, there was a U-Haul place. And um, we went in there and got our camera. And so we went out on the street and we're testing it out and everything. Well, across the street was one of those adult, you know, video places where they sold all that. And there were executives from TVA who were down there on their lunch break. And they look over and see us with this camera, 
And they're diving and jumping behind their cars, you know, because they don't want anybody to know where they are. And in a practical sense, y'all, think about what you're doing and Christ's return. Mm. I want to be ready. I want to be eager to meet him, right? The heresy is the teaching that Jesus is not coming back. And they say, where's the promise of his uh, coming? You, you apostles made all this stuff. You're using this to control us. You're using this to, to, to impose some kind of standard on our living. And, hey, we're free. We can do whatever we want. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Today's language, it is, my God would never send anyone to hell. Right? God just made me this way. I need to be true to myself. God is love and he wants me to be happy. Or God wants my life to be easy. There's a well-known pastor, an author, and he's got a new book coming out. And I just noticed this. uh, The title is Your Greater is yet to come. And listen to what it says. Don't give up. Step up to a better life filled with more. New York Times best-selling author challenges you to crank up your hope and start expecting a new level of increase, ease, and joy. That's where we are. I just want things to be easy. What we learn from First Peter is the circumstances that we're walking through. That's the times when we draw nearer to Christ. That's the time where he meets us in those circumstances and strengthens us. There's a survey that came out in May. It was a George Barna survey, and just touch on this a little bit. They did a poll of pastors, evangelical pastors across the United States, 1,000 of them, which is a pretty good uh, sample. Usually samples are 350, 400. They get 1,000. And the question was about biblical worldview. And they asked a series of questions about these pastors and what they understood and what they believed about their, uh, how they look at the world, the lens through which we look at the, at the world. And worldview, you know, involves theology, anthropology, um, uh, knowledge, ethics, and, and so forth. Only 37% of those pastors held to a biblical worldview. Think about that. Only 37%. And the 63, 62%, the balance of that, they identified as them holding to a syncretistic worldview, which is the exact problem that the Old Testament, it, the nation of Israel, experienced because they wanted to blend everything in. Barna says, during these challenging times, and think about this, we're here because God put us here. There's going to be a lot of broken people that we need to minister to. We need to minister to them now, but there's going to be a wake of destruction and uh, uh, heartache 
that people are going to realize, and we need to step in with the message of the gospel. Barna says, during these challenges, challenging times in America, Christian churches have a tremendous opportunity for influence in our nation. However, when the worldview of the leaders, the pastors of most churches is indistinguishable from that of non-believers, it is hard to capitalize on those ministry opportunities. So when Ron and, uh, and Ben asked, you know, what, what is a title for this morning? And I, I, I said, well, I don't know. I had to think about it for a minute. I said, are we there yet? Ask the question, are we there yet? And thinking about Luke and how his, his personality is and his eagerness, I'm, uh, you know, imagine this. You know, your family's leaving South Haven. They're going to go down to the beach, which they did a couple months ago. Kids had never been to the beach, and they're all expe- uh, excited to see the beach. And I pictured Luke. He didn't really do this, but you know how it is. I pictured him in the back seat with his mask on and his snorkel and his fins and his swim trunks and the whole way saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And that's exactly the mindset we should have. We sh- he prepared himself, Right. He prepared himself for the destination, and he was eager and excited to reach that destination. That's what Peter's saying about us. No matter what, we look out the window, we see what's going on in the world, and we know Christ has overcome, and we're in him. So we overcome as well. Are we there yet? That's what Peter's saying, and we should fully expect and trust in our eternal inheritance and should be joyful in its expectation and preparing ourselves through obedience, reverence, and worship of Christ. Thank you.